if there's one thing that everybody's going to run to at one point in their life, it's going to be an injury, and that injury could cause a setback. But one of the best ways that you can get past that is by working with somebody who knows what they're talking about. And today, we have somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to injuries. We have Dr. Jessica, who's a physical therapist, and helped me personally overcome a recent pec strain. Dr. Jessica, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So we're actually just having a little bit of a conversation uh, before hitting record on this podcast uh, about a lot of cool stuff. And so we'll start kind of pulling some of that back into it. Um, But one of the things that we do over here at Avatar is a lot of myth busting in the nutrition realm. Um, But I'm sure that there are plenty of myths to be busted when it comes to exercise and injury recovery and all that. Um, so why don't we get started with a fun topic? Um, I see so many people walking around in my gym that look like they've been attacked by an octopus and it's a result Mm -hmm. of cupping. Mm -hmm. So why don't we dive into cupping and figure out what, uh, what's actually going on there? Okay. That's a great, um, topic. Um, and I think over the past few years, especially when you see people like Olympic athletes and whatnot using it becomes a very hype thing um it's more of or initially it was a very eastern medicine type of procedure um and i don't personally do it but like most of our modalities it's a very um not fully or high level researched backed procedure um so it's great in the standpoint that physiologically it's supposed to be you know, loosening up tissues, increasing blood flow to an injury area or to help with mobility of some way, shape or form, whether or not that feeds into long-term effects and or helps any sort of performance is kind of yet to be proven with high level research. So it's one of those things where if people do it and they like it and it feels good, they're going to keep doing it. And if they feel like it helps them, then from that psychosocial standpoint, it is helping them. And so it's valid in that sense, but from a physiological standpoint, there just isn't much to support it long-term. Right. So it's really, uh, it's kind of like a placebo effect because there's a, a lot of things that we can do that might not necessarily have any kind of scientific backing, but psychologically they're helping keep you motivated. And if you are doing cupping and you think that you're getting better recovery, mm-hmm you might as a result end up being more consistent with your routine and the other facets of your health. Correct. And it does help, um, it, that and things like, you know, dry needling, um, cryotherapy, things like that do help kind of adjust the pain threshold that a person has. So they're, they can do a little bit more without feeling limited. Um, so in that sense, they're able to, you know, accomplish more, recover faster, lift heavier, whatever it may be. So um, what about the bruising that you see with yes. cupping? Because my understanding of bruising anyway is that the capillaries under the skin have busted. Yes. And so if the capillaries are broken, wouldn't that mean that if you have subcutaneous blood pooling, that the blood's not actually getting into the muscles? Yeah, so the pooling effect, and not everybody bruises the same, um, I, so it's a very individualized um, response. Part of it is, okay, so we've brought all of this blood circulation to the tissue, and then, you know, yes, broken some capillaries, caused some bruising. Um, when there is bruising or some sort of um, injury to the tissue, 
physiologically the body is supposed to see that as an injury so they're supposed to kind of send inflammatory cleanup chemicals to the area to kind of help heal that area so in Mm. a sense you could think of it trying to bring the body's attention to that area so that it brings in a new round of chemicals that are supposed to long-term you know flush out inflammation and make you move and feel better so it's kind of like an extra step to make the body more aware of something that's wrong that mm. needs to be fixed. Yes, or just a heightened, you know, focus on that area if you needed more mobility or um, faster recovery or, you know, wanted to feel good yeah. <laughs> in that area. That's very important to people. So, Well, it's, it's kind of cool how you can look at things and sort of start to set a theory behind them. And then over time, of course, the way that science works is you, you test, analyze, mm-hmm. and see if it's repeatable. Exactly. Um, so what about dry needling? Mm-hmm. Because this is something that I recently experienced with you stabbing a needle into my hamstring. <laughs> and it, it was the craziest thing because um, what was it? Because you suggested it was either um, basically a, a deep tissue because I had a hamstring tear back in February that had never really properly been dealt with. I just kind of let it heal on its own. I mean, fortunately, I didn't, it didn't remove from the tendon, so there was no surgery required. As it was a grade one. But you did this technique. So why, like, why would I qualify for dry needling? What did you see there that would make you want to do that? Um, so there's different techniques that are used for different purposes. Um, generally, dry needling is supposed to be kind of working more towards muscle trigger points or, you know, build up in the muscle fibers and tissues itself that just is different than the rest of the tissue. So you're trying to kind of calm down that tissue or reset the, the flow of chemicals in and out of the muscle fibers as you're working. Um, so sometimes we'll use it for, you know, if you had a painful trigger point, uh, upper traps are very common. Hamstrings are pretty common. Um, you'll just have like a point that's either tender to touch or when you touch it, it's painful and it refers pain outwards. Um, other techniques we'll use it for are chronic injuries or injuries that or muscles that just haven't fully healed and they've kind of hit a plateau or adjusted to a new normal, but it's not necessarily an optimal normal. And so for that same concept as with, you know, the cupping where you're trying to restart an inflammation process, we're trying to tell the body, Hey, this muscle you think is normal and you think is okay, but I need it to work a little bit better. So I need you to restart this inflammation process in this area so that for one, you're getting better circulation for two, we're going to follow it up with some form of exercise that's going to work those muscle fibers the way we want them to work so that they're going to just be a little bit more efficient and do what they need to do at a higher level. Um, again, it's a passive type of modality. So it's something that a practitioner has to do on you as opposed to you, your body figuring out itself. Mm -hmm. So it's not a necessary thing. It's a nice thing that we have really good, you know, effects for a lot of people, but the re- some research supports it greatly, and some research is like, well, it's no better than any other thing that we would try. So it's one of those where it's when I'm doing it, it's patient specific. Um, it's also body part specific. Some body parts are just really uncomfortable. Where, in my opinion, it would just be too uncomfortable to kind of be worth it for the person. But I, for some body parts, I see such great responses that if the person's open to the needles, then I'll, right. I'll, I'll suggest it. And I, by no means does anybody ever have to do it, but 
it's um i think it's nice on myself i like it um it at least helps me get past like an acute phase of discomfort or pain so that i can go do something in my workout that otherwise would have been limited right so when you were dry needling me i had my eyes closed because i'm needle phobic mm-hmm. how big was that needle um so from a length standpoint the one in your hamstring was about this long um it's like three and a half four inches yeah, I think between four to five inches. Um, Did it go all the way in? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Whoa. The ones. I'm so glad I didn't see that. <laughs> there are some for, like, the glute area, piriformis area, where we get, like, 100 centimeters length of needle. Um, so that looks a lot pretty intimidating. That's why for some people, Just they don't, don't like needles. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh I get it. God. I don't like needles either. I, I understand. Um, the diameter changes. So some they can be so tiny you don't feel them yours was a little bit thicker just because it has to be that thick to go that deep into a big muscle um but they're very very tiny in relation to how you think it feels right in in the grand scheme of things yes it was the craziest thing because there's you're talking about trigger points and there's all these different spots so i remember you were trying one spot another spot and the way that i would best describe it is it felt like an involuntary twitching. So mm-hmm. if you've ever been hooked up to one of those stem treatments, so it's like mm-hmm. an electrical impulse that causes your muscle to contract. It's kind of what it felt like mm-hmm. until, yes. <laughs> until you hit the trigger point. Yes. And then it felt like every nerve below my knee lit up like a Christmas tree. Like yeah. I could in my mind see the path of all my nerve fibers all the way down to my toe tips. It yeah. was the craziest thing, but I felt a lot better after. Good. After the pain went away, uh, the muscle really loosened up. Mm-hmm. And I'd been dealing with a lot of sciatic pain in that leg, mm-hmm. probably as a result of things getting knotted up and the sciatic nerve not being able to move properly. Mm-hmm. That helped. Good. Like, my foot's been feeling great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it just needs that, like, one extra step. And mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, okay, this this was worth it. And for a lot of people, like, I have some patients absolutely love it they whether they like needles or not they just feel so good after the fact and especially for working with chronic pain issues um they will come because they know they're gonna it's like more of an immediate feel good sensation so that afterwards they can move better they can do more exercise they can you know just go about their day-to-day stuff feeling better and so that's very valuable because then it encourages people to keep moving and being active and ultimately that's what you need when you're recovering from pain or injuries is you need to be active so it allows people to do that instead of you know being scared of the movement or anticipating the pain and then being more sedentary so this is kind of a odd question that I don't, maybe gets asked frequently maybe it doesn't but how does moving help is it just increasing blood flow or, or like what's going on Um, that's a good question. So generally our bodies are made to move. Um, so being sedentary, especially if it's after an injury for one, yes, it's going to slow down, you know, your basic circulation that you need to help with, you know, the body recovery. Um, it's also going to cause other areas to kind of increase their tension, get tight, not move as well. Um, pain is going to spread because you're you're focused on one area of pain so you're scared to move and do whatever activity Mm -hmm. um 
in that heightened sense while you're sitting, you're mentally thinking, I'm scared to do this, so I'm not going to do this. So then that mind standpoint is talking to the rest of your body and being like, okay, well, yes, this is why we don't need to move. And then over the course of time, as you're getting tighter and tighter and you're trying to do little movements, more and more is feeling stiff and uncomfortable and not ideal. So then you're shying away from more and more activities. And so if that was somebody's, you know, plan for recovery, it would just not be efficient. And that's how chronic pain happens often, especially with things like low back pain. Um, it's a very big component, the whole, you know, I'm, I'm scared to move, so I'm not going to move. And right. then over the course of time, nothing's going to be as mobile as it once was. And so everything's going to kind of ache and not feel good. And then I don't want to move even more. So, yeah. So a lot of times if somebody gets hurt or they suffer an injury, which is bound to happen at some point in life, they kind of resign themselves to become immobile. Mm -hmm. But I actually received a little bit of different advice between my general practitioner when I first injured my pec, for example, mm -hmm. and then when I saw you. Mm -hmm. So she referred me out to get PT help, and that's that's how I found you. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is the doctor, so the general practitioner, was advising me just to not do anything. Mm -hmm. She's like, just don't do anything for about six weeks, mm -hmm. like period. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things that you told me was let pain be your guide. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I can I can roll with that. Mm -hmm. So let pain be your guide. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you really meant by that and then how that helped me end up recovering my pec faster? Yes. So um, for let's take an active person um, who generally – isn't going to feel, you know, a new pain and then all of a sudden you get scared and, you know, be a hermit inside their house. So for instance, you are pretty active. Um, you dealt with prior injuries, aches and pains, stuff like that. So pain isn't necessarily going to stop you from doing anything, but you get to a certain level of pain where you're like, well, that's obviously not comfortable, but it's also at a higher level than my baseline pain or discomfort. And so it's kind of making the person more in tune to, okay, if you have a new injury, yes, you have to find a balance so that you're allowing the tissues to heal and not doing too much, but not doing too little. Generally, you, and plenty of research supports this, a lot of, you know, best practices and, you know, if you have a good therapist, they'll educate you and tell you, you need to be doing something active for your recovery. We just have to figure out what that active is for you and your body part and, you know, your whether you have any other comorbidities, co comorbidities going on or if you have any other different lifestyle factors that are coming into play you have to find a balance between all of that and then you have to know okay so if I was going to think of my pain for myself zero is no pain 10 is you know I hate it I'm going to the ER it's not fun what in that range of zero to ten am I okay working with zero to three or so is a pretty normal amount to have throughout the day. That's fine. You're not going to re-damage or re-injure anything. Once you get, especially if you're working out, once you're getting into that four to five, you're like, okay, this is kind of the edge of what is safe for these tissues without damaging them further and then setting the recovery process back. And so for somebody that's active, I'm obviously going to talk about it differently than somebody who's dealing with chronic pain or a different type of disease. But it's generally figuring out what, what that person is 
used to doing, what else is going on with their body, and then educating them on how to be aware of their pain, but not hyper-focused on their pain so that they're not letting fear or their mindset stop what their body should normally be able to do throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's very patient specific. Um, and it takes a lot of education, especially for the person that's not in tune with their body. Um, so generally the more active you are, the more use you are to like being aware of your body and how it feels and what's good and what's not. But for some patients, that's a huge component of the recovery is, okay, let me teach you how to feel like realize what you're feeling and then realize what is okay. Like this is a normal response. This is okay. You're not damaging anything. So don't be fearful of that. And then let's progress through this, you know, week by week. So it's very important to keep moving. Yeah. You just have to find that balance so that you're not damaging the tissues. And that's what, you know, finding a professional comes in handy because not everybody is the expert of everything. And so you need to find not even Google. I know, unfortunately, <laughs> Google can help. Google what about can Bing? Help. Google can help g- lead you to the right, like practitioner or you know source of information. But that's you know if you're serious about whatever it is going on, that's where having professional help is valuable. Oh, definitely, because um, I, I know as as soon as I felt that pop, right? Yeah. And uh, it was it was just the strangest thing because it, it felt like the best way I can describe it is the consistency of a packing peanut uh-huh. just tearing under the skin. I didn't really feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, f- I felt the sensation of the like packing peanut tearing, but it wasn't painful. I could hear it too. Like mm-hmm. I, I could hear it popping and um, I pressed the weight back up, put on the rack and I knew something was wrong. Um, and after driving home, the first thing that I did was I went on Google and I was trying to basically self-diagnose. I was like, what happened? I was like, well, I don't see any major bruising, so maybe it didn't tear right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was kind of funny after some work that we did, then all of a sudden this bruising came to the mm-hmm. surface. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was looking on YouTube and just like trying to find all these different things about pec strains, pec tears, and there's conflicting information mm-hmm. to say the least. Uh, some people were like, you know, don't be a sissy. Just start benching right. again. Other muscles will take over until your right. pet grows back. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, s- set up the appointment, got the referral, and um, actually got on a, a path to path to recovering. So what would you advise somebody who's not necessarily active, right? They're not mm-hmm. a high-level athlete. They're not trying to be super competitive or anything, but just you're – person from the general population who wants to avoid injuries Mm -hmm. as best as they can like what what are your tips for injury prevention um so I have a couple doing some sort of you know movement daily is very valuable um if you hate exercise but you have to drive to work you know park at the end of the parking lot and walk in just like something little like that daily is good for your body um Another important thing, hydration is very important, and nutrition, obviously, your field, very important, and rest is also very important, as well as mindset, you know, as cliche as that sounds, I think they all kind of work really significantly together to make the person um, generally stay healthy. If your mind is happy, your body is going to feel better. If you're moving, your mind's going to be better. If you're sleeping... Your body is not going to feel tight or achy if you're staying hydrated and eating well. You're not going to feel lazy on the couch type of thing. So it's kind of just being aware of all these different things that 
we have control of doing in our daily life and it doesn't take going to the gym for an hour every day to get to that epitome of health it's okay drink enough water eat your veggies sleep don't you know minimize your stress and walk into your office type of thing so it's just I don't think people realize how easy it is to do just these little things that make a big difference over the course of time they get a little bit um, scared of the intimidating well I'm supposed to you know work out this many hours a week and you know lift this or only eat this and it's kind of that's just too generalized for people it's like okay you get your basics done from these types of you know categories and then you'll generally feel better and in that feeling better you might want to do more of more focus on your nutrition or more more focus on your exercise so I think they all just really work well together but I really for me I'll tell people start drinking more water than you think you're drinking like you're not drinking Mm -hmm. enough probably so add that in because that's something easy you can do right away and then I'll tell people you know start walking a little bit more whether it's taking the stairs whether it's parking a little bit farther away those are two things that are just very simple to implement and then get started on those and then you can kind of tackle other things so is the urine check really the best way that you can look at your levels of hydration and just kind of a good feel Um, for it Yes and no. So for a basic person that's not working with, you know, a dietitian or something like that, that's actually assessing, you know, the your urine levels and the components of the urine. Um, yes, obviously you want it to be more on the pale yellow to clear side, but some of that can be affected if you're taking certain supplements or vitamins, mm-hmm. things like that. So kind of just being aware of, you know, throughout the day, generally, what does it look like does it stay the same or is it you know morning super different than evening and then kind of adjusting it for that um if somebody has a certain condition um disease illness things like that then i would recommend just seeking professional help so that they can get a little bit more specific um information and you know markers and tests and stuff like that done but for your basic person I mean, we know dark yellow is not good. So yeah. steer away from that. Um, if you took some vitamins, like give it a few hours to kind of work itself out and then kind of assess and see where you're at. I remember we had these little infographics over every urinal in our college locker room. Mm. So and it was it was a pee guide. And it was basically, if your pee looks like this, drink more water. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it was literally over every single one of them. Um so every New Year's, you have people who are hyper-motivated, and they're just ready to get back after it. Um, I remember I'd see a lot of people doing these really intense CrossFit-style workouts, and these might be people who have been inactive for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're people coming with knee braces, and they're trying to race each other doing power cleans and snatches. And um, So what do you think about or what advice would you give people who are very motivated to try mm-hmm. to make a big difference in their life? Um, and they, they are ready to commit a hundred percent, but their bodies are probably not as ready as their minds are. Mm-hmm. So how do you tell somebody to, um, hurry up and slow down? Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is if they need, for instance, if they're trying to start an exercise program at the beginning of the year, but they've never exercised before hopefully they're getting some form of guidance that would be a a big recommendation if you've never done something before get guidance in it until you feel comfortable doing it Um, because with that if you have good guidance whether it's a coach a therapist um, 
you know, a family friend that's just has, you know, years of experience in it, whatever it may be. Hopefully they're going to be real and upfront with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they're going to work both short and long-term goals. So it's one thing to, you know, first of the year, okay, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to work out really hard to lose those 20 pounds. But is that really maintainable? Because for most people it's not. And that's why come March and April goals have changed and, you know, people have slacked off. And so I think it's important to find a good balance between what is feasible in the short term, what is feasible, like what do you want to do long term, kind of breaking up your goals periodically so that, you can maintain that motivation, but even if you have a rough week or if you lose the motivation, it's like, well, I have this discipline already set up, hopefully, to kind of keep me going in this direction. And then I have the guidance of somebody who I trust or who I know is going to be honest with me and tell me if I shouldn't be doing power cleans on a Saturday, uh, you know, the second mm-hmm. week of January when I've never done them. Like, somebody needs to tell me that. Um, and, yeah, yeah just kind of making sure you have I don't for me it's like I would always um seek guidance if I didn't know something so I wouldn't necessarily go from zero to a hundred right right away what if if your guide is telling you to go from zero to a hundred yes so that's the unfortunate part because there are guides apparently that do that Mm -hmm. um yeah that's tough I would say if it doesn't feel right don't do it so if in your mind you're thinking, well, I've really never done, you know, I've never ran a marathon or I've never done CrossFit. Somebody's telling me I should be at this level. Like that just doesn't sound right. So listen to your gut and kind of, you know, maybe ask a couple sources or do a little bit of research or test it out, but start it at a lower level and see how you feel um, so that you make sure it feels comfortable or it feels right for yourself. Right. So you would say something like uh, form overweight any day. Absolutely. Yeah, never never oh, sacrifice absolutely. to move more weight. Oh, yes. I, think, I see a lot of people do it. Yes. I think people get sick of hearing me talk about quality of their movement as opposed to how many sets and reps and weight and whatever that they do just because it's important. And if you build a good foundation, then you'll get to those sets or reps or weight or whatever. But it's not just going to happen. And, you, and you'll do it <laughs> and, and not hurt yourself. Exactly. And then eventually you'll go further than you would have gone otherwise. Exactly. So one thing... Um, Cause it was so funny. When I first came to see you, there was just like a laundry list of dings and dents and things yeah. that weren't working right. Yeah. Uh, one of them was a uh, ankle that I had sprained twice and one rugby tournament that was pretty much locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was having an impact on my ability to move and my ability to do things like squats. Mm-hmm. So you showed me some really good exercises for helping get ankle mobility back in my right ankle. And as a result, I hit a lifetime PR in back squat with zero equipment. So no belt, no wraps, no squat shoes. Because, I mean, a lot of times people will use squat shoes if they have poor ankle mobility Mm because you have a little bit of a heel elevation. But these are in chucks. And everything moved well. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. But just that, that ankle mobility was huge. So even for people who are conditioned athletes, taking the time to address old injuries and things that have piled up is going to be really beneficial um, and probably prevent injuries in the future. Cause mm-hmm. there's a lot of times if somebody's like a power lifter, right. And they have really poor ankle mobility and they never address it. 
when somebody's going down into a squat, for example, you're going to, it's much more likely that you're going to see more torso lean. Mm-hmm. And so probably you're setting yourself up for a risk for an unnecessary back injury that could mm-hmm. be prevented if you just took the time to work on ankle mobility. Right. I mean, there's just so many little things like that. Um, and well, and that's the great part too nowadays with whether you're working with like, you know, a strength and conditioning coach or um, a sports PT or whatever it may be. Um, we're finding more and more patients that are trying to do a performance-based goal as opposed to just addressing an injury. And so that's great because everybody has limitations somewhere in some way, shape, or form, even if they're competing at a high level. So how do we be aware of those limitations, address those limitations, and then, you know, in that sense, enhance their performance even further. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be an injury that takes you to your PT or to, you know, your strength and conditioning coach or whoever it may be. It's, you know, just trying to be aware of, okay, how can I enhance this? I feel a little stiff here. Is there anything that can be done for this body part that can help, you know, this lift or this sport? And so I think just kind of as the culture shifts a little bit more to paying attention to that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff, it's great for everybody because we're working on new things. We're preventing, you know, unnecessary injuries. People are performing better. And then we as practitioners get to have more variety and more um, creativity and excitement in our day-to-day training. So it's good. So there's a lot of people who have office jobs where they're sitting down all day um, or their their shoulders are kind of hunched forward because they're Mm -hmm. at a keyboard. What would you just in general suggest to help address any postural issues that might crop up as a result of that? Um, taking breaks throughout the day is helpful, whether, you know, they're standing and walking around, whether they're just, you know, sitting upright and doing a couple of shoulder squeezes, um, just kind of having some consistent movement, you know, every hour, every 30 minutes so that you're not just looking down typing, um, and like reading a computer screen. It's also helpful too, if you know, you can have a sit to stand desk or something like that. So you're just changing your body position throughout the day. Um, that's also another option. Um, but generally just kind of being aware of, okay, I'm sitting here for a couple hours on, on end, like focused on this computer. Let me like sit upright, stretch my shoulders, you know, work my back muscles, get blood flowing and then go back to what I'm doing. Yeah. Moving like do a couple quick laps around the parking lot, yeah. go up and down the stairs, yeah. things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So you showed me um, some really neat movements. And what we want to do as a bonus for this podcast is we're going to include um, like a video kind of showing some exercises in the description that people can look at too. Okay. So you showed me a really great uh, brachial plexus stretch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, because what was kind of interesting is there are a few th- other things that happen where I was confusing uh, soft tissue damage for nerve pain or no nerve pain for soft tissue damage. Mm-hmm. And so just getting the nerves moving better, yep. however you would put it, yep. um, has really helped that. I mean, it was just constant pain in my elbows um, and constant pain in the arches of my feet. Mm-hmm. But after doing the sciatic nerve glide um, for the lower body and then doing this brachial plexus stretches and um, – I don't know. I'd call it the, the opera, gra- <laughs> opera glass stretch. Um, it, it's really helped out tremendously awesome. in removing that pain, which was chronic. Um, so there's probably a lot of chronic pain that people deal with as a result of just being in yeah. bad body positions all the time. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of stuff that you can do. 
that will make an immediate impact mm-hmm. in improving your quality of life like that. Mm-hmm. Is, is, so is there anything that you haven't told me about that people tend to benefit from? Um, those two are very um, big ones. People uh, initially they're like, oh, that doesn't feel good. And then they'll do it regularly and they're like, this feels amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I noticed such a big difference and it's e- easy to do. Um, so those two are both really great. Um, I mean, there's a couple of other pretty consistent mobility type things I'll give people like the snow angels are very beneficial. Um, shoulder squeezes are great. I'll even give people some, you know, neck retraction exercises if they're working on laptops specifically, cause laptops are usually lower than, you know, a desk monitor would be. Um, so all of those are just kind of nice to keep everything moving and keep, you know, our nervous system happy, our circulation system happy, our muscles happy. They all feed into each other. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, and just, and so this is (laughs) one final, uh, fun thing. This was one of the first questions that I asked because it was, it was always bugging me, Mm -hmm. but I asked when you crack a knuckle or you're popping (sighs) a joint, what is making that noise? Because, like, there's so many just old tales about, you know, oh, don't crack uh-huh. your knuckles. It'll give you arthritis and uh-huh. all this other stuff. So could you tell everybody about what's happening when you when you crack a joint? Yes. So it's actually a release of, like, a gas bubble in the synovial fluid of the joint. And it's interesting you bring that up because it, not too long ago I was looking at some research or somebody had, like, summarized some research about people's beliefs when they hear popping, whether it's being manipulated at the chiropractor or, you know, popping their knuckles or whatever. It's like, what do people think it is? And most people thought they were, you know, realigning a joint that was out of place or um, move like stretching a ligament, um, repositioning, you know, your spine. Those are very common things. And it's like, no, it's literally just a gas bubble in your joint area that's popping, releasing and makes a sound. And so that, so that gas bubble being in the synovial fluid, could that cause a feeling of like stiffness or discomfort? And that's why it feels good sometimes when you I pop a joint? I think so, yes. Um, and just the fact that, you know, especially if you are using your hands a lot or if you're sitting a lot and then you get up and pop and move, those joints haven't had to move in an extended period. So then you're moving them to the extent where, you know, you're getting that cavitation, you're getting that pop. And now you're like, oh, okay, that was stiff and now it released and now I feel better. So, and so how does that gas get, cause I mean, if it's inside of your tissue, mm-hmm. uh, where does it go? Like how does it Well, disperse? it's in the fluid itself. So I'm assuming it just like goes back into like you have the gas particle, it breaks, the particles go into the rest of the fluid and then it just kind of circulates throughout, hmm. you know, the area or the body or what it depends on where you're talking. But well, this is cool stuff. So, Obviously, you have a wealth of information when it comes to PT and helping people who have snapped up their stuff and get better. Um, so where can people find you? Um, so online, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, Dr. Jessica PT is my handle, and I do have a website. So my company is Pace PT, um, Pace Physical Therapy. So the website is pacept.com. There's plenty of information there. Um, I have blog posts that I'll put out. Um, I also have, you know, the opportunity to ask me questions via email or direct message. I work with people 
you know, remotely online as well as in person. Um, but I essentially just want to help educate people. So the more questions I get, the more exciting it is for me because then I know people are taking an active role in bettering their own education. Um, so if you want quick tips daily, I would say check me out on Instagram. Um, but if it's something more in depth, you can always, you know, request for an online consultation or come and see me in clinic in North Austin. Well, thank you so much for coming out here, Jessica. And uh, if anybody who lives in the Austin area is in need of rehab, (laughs) fixing themselves up, (laughs) uh, definitely give Dr. Jessica a call. She will take great care of you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to leave us a review. It helps us know uh, more about what you want us to talk about and really helps us get the message out there and get this good information in people's hands. So until next time, bye, everybody.